after this, but uh, just a little plug, if you're, uh, I don't know if everyone goes to this church here, I assume most of you do, but December the 30th, uh, if you don't go, I'd love to have you December 30th, uh, I'll be preaching at all three services here, so I would love to see you there for that, all right? Well, um, we're going to watch a clip just to kind of get us started, and then we'll jump right into this. A moment ago, you said that you ordered Lieutenant Kendrick to tell his men that Santiago wasn't to be touched. <coughs> That's right. And Lieutenant Kendrick was clear on what you wanted? Crystal. Any chance Lieutenant Kendrick ignored the order? Ignored the order? Any chance he... I think I messed up. A moment up. ago, you said that you ordered Lieutenant go, Kendrick to it. tell his men that Santiago wasn't to be touched. That's right. And Lieutenant Kendrick was clear on what you wanted? Eric. Crystal. Any chance Lieutenant Kendrick ignored the order? Ignored the order? Any chance he forgot about it? No. Any chance Lieutenant Kendrick left your office and said, the old man is wrong? No. When Lieutenant Kendrick spoke to the platoon, and ordered them not to touch Santiago. Any chance they ignored him? You ever served in an infantry unit, son? No, sir. Ever served in a forward area? No, sir. Ever put your life in another man's hands? Asked him to put his life in yours? No, sir. We follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear, Crystal? Colonel, I have just one more question before I call Airman O'Malley and Airman Rodriguez. If you gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, and your orders are always followed, then why would Santiago be in danger? Why would it be necessary to transfer him off the base? Santiago was a substandard Marine. He was being transferred... That's not what you said. You said he was being transferred because he was in grave danger. That's correct. You right. said he was in danger. I said grave danger. You said, is there I any... I recall other... what I said. I can have the court reporter read back to you. I know what I said. I don't have to have it read back to me like I'm... Why did two orders? Colonel? Sometimes men take matters into their own hands. No, sir. You made it clear just a moment ago that your men never take matters in their own hands. Your men follow orders or people die. So Santiago shouldn't have been in any danger at all. Should he have come? I'd like to ask for a recess. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The court will wait for an answer. If Lieutenant Kendrick gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, then why did he have to be transferred? Colonel? Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut these guys loose! Your Honor, you have markers inside a bony transfer. Your Honor, you doctored the logbook. Damn it, Captain! Consider yourself in contempt. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! All right, everyone. Uh, how many of you have seen that? Please tell me everyone has, all right? So that will kind of wake you up in the morning. You can't handle the truth. Well, a uh, little fun clip to wake us up this morning, but just what we're talking about today and what we talked about last week is, is a truth that uh, is hard to look at and to discuss 
Um, and, uh, it, but we, be, we believe it's truth that must be looked at and must be handled, if you will, uh, and we can't avoid it. And so uh, this is something uh, we, we have written down at the very beginning, an honest confession on your notes. And um, all, all, to say, all that to say that uh, what the confession there is for me to say to you that this is not something that I like talking about, uh, this heart wound, this depraved nature, uh, fallen nature that we have. It's something that's not fun to talk about. Uh, I didn't wake up this morning saying, man, I'm so glad. You probably didn't wake up this morning early and, uh, you know, through the cold rain and come over here and say, wow, I can't wait to hear about my fallen nature, right? So this is not something fun, but again, I believe if we crawl down to, to our hearts and look at this, uh, we, we begin to get to the solutions that all of us uh, need. So uh, let me skip a couple real quick. So let's go to... to um, uh, after the honest confession, let's go to the heart wound defined. <coughs> all right. So uh, let, let's just fill this in. It's we are all fallen and flawed creatures, at odds by nature with our Creator and each other. And so this is kind of the definition that we looked at uh, yesterday. Meaning uh, this wound that we're talking about is not something that comes from the outside. It's not something that you know because of our environment or our parents, or, you know, our, our spouses even. We, we can't blame other people for this. This is something that we're born with. Every one of us uh, is born with this. And we'll, we'll see this in, in a couple of scriptures. Uh, here, look, read what Ephesians 2, 3 says. This is the Living Bible translation. It says, we started out bad at being born with evil natures. So there it is. So that there's no one in this room uh, who uh, can avoid this. There's no one in this room that says, well, uh, I'm a good person. Uh, you know, there, there are people who do, do good, certainly, and you might say, man, I, I, I do good, and you know people who do good, but none of us are good by nature. Uh, the Bible is clear that, that we're born with this evil nature, and listen to how Romans 3 says it. Romans 3 says, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There is uh, none who seeks for God. It should say, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And so again, as I said to you last week, this is a huge uh, theological starting point that was different for me than what I was taught growing up in Islam. Uh, Islam is uh, taught that man is born sinless, that they're born, we're born with a clean slate, and then Throughout our life, it's kind of a journey to do good versus bad, and hopefully you have more good than bad at the end of your life. But this scripture says that we uh, start off in the hole. I mean, we start off already separated from God, sinners, uh, you know, fallen. So every one of us has this starting point. And so, as I said last time, if you believe that you're born sinless, there's nothing to be saved from. But we know as Christians, as you look in the scripture, we know the scripture is clear that we, we have, there's something to be saved from. <clears throat> so now we want to go to the pain that flows from this wound, okay? So let's just uh, fill these in. We're going to look at four areas here, how, how this is, has, has worked its way down. Number one is, fill this in, we are born separated from God. <clears throat> we are born separated from God. Um, so from the very beginning when Adam and Eve were told the lie that if you eat from the tree, you'll become like God. That's what the enemy told them. And they bit into the lie. They took from the tree and they ate. At that moment, 
we believe from the Bible that man was separated from God. Now this is again a huge truth in the scriptures, that we're born separated from God. I've been doing a study on Abraham recently with my college students, and um, it's just a fascinating study. But uh, you go through Genesis, that happens in Genesis 3, the fall of man. And then throughout uh, Genesis, you get this story where, well, where when Abraham is called to go out, and God gives him a promise, I'm going to make you a mighty nation, and from you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, okay? Speaks of Abraham. Well, what happens is Abraham doesn't trust God. God has promised him an heir through his wife, Sarah. He doesn't trust God, and he sleeps with his maidservant, Hagar. And he takes matters into his own hand and pretty much turns his back on God's covenant. Well, there's a period of, uh, I don't know, how 15 or so years before Genesis 17 picks up where God comes back to him, and he reiterates the covenant. Now, I'm saying all this to get to this point. God, when he reiterates the covenant to him, an agreement between God and him and ultimately anyone else who follows Abraham of faith is this, that I will be God to you and your descendants after you and also I give you the land. And, and, and the thing that's so amazing is this, that many times we think God is about the land and we start running after the land, the stuff he wants to give us, when the amazing reward of the gospel is that relationship that he says, you get me, you get restored relationship. And if you read Genesis 17, Abraham falls on his face, not because of the stuff he's about to get from God, but because he gets God. And so this is a huge truth that we got to understand. There's no of course about it. Well, God, of course, wants a relationship with me because, uh, you know, he, he created me. The scripture says from the beginning, we're all headed towards eternal death. We're all separated from God. And because of Christ, this is what the Bible says, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So we have restored relationship. This is, a, this is a huge truth for us to understand that we're born separated from God. This is a result of this wound. Let's keep going. We, um, oh, let's read this scripture. Remember that you were separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. There it is, Ephesians 2, 12. Let's go to the second one. The second one is we are bound to a life of futility, Okay. We are bound to a life of futility. Let me read this uh, Ecclesiastes passage. Let's look what Solomon says. King Solomon, who had, done, uh, who had all the money, had all the stuff of the world, look what he says. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Uh, when we, uh, this is an overflow of, of what happened in the garden. When man and uh, woman, Adam and Eve, took from the, tr- the tree and ate, Remember, the lie was God uh, isn't telling you that you're going to become like him if you do this. And so, in essence, the lie behind the sin was, I'm going to be God myself. And at that moment, man and woman became self-centered and not God-centered. And that's where the shift happened. That's where sin entered the world. And so, an overflow of that now is this, that now we have really two chief motivators to run after pleasure, because it's all about me now, and to avoid pain. Why? Because there's no higher purpose anymore. We're separated from God. There's no really higher purpose. So it's just me. It's all about me. And so it's all about running after pleasure and trying to avoid pain. But the truth of the matter is, as we look in the scripture, that life is vain, it's futile, and it doesn't lead to any, any kind of joy at all. So, so that's the second one. Let's go to the third one. We are enslaved uh, to a corrupt nature. 
<coughs> we are enslaved to a corrupt nature. Let's read uh, this passage from, is it from Job? Or, yeah, Job, here it is. For evil does not come from the dust, nor does it spring up from the ground, but man is born to trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. So this is... Uh, uh, th- th- this says from the beginning uh, we are enslaved to this. Now, um, Jesus in John chapter 8 uh, tells the, the Jews, he says to them that you are slaves to sin because you perform sin in your life. It, it shows in your life. You, 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 you are enslaved to it. And so that's what the Bible tells us, that we were slaves to sin. And those who co- come to Christ, the scripture says, you have now become slaves to righteousness. So we have to be broken from this slavery, if you will. And we're all uh, born by this. Now, sinner basically means, uh, uh, to sin basically means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. That's what sin means. So we are sinners because we are missing the mark in our marriages, in our uh, parenting, in our families, in our relationships. We're missing the mark. And so this, this, is, this plays out all throughout Scripture. Every one of us is enslaved to this. I love Galatians 3 that says the law came into the world to confine all under sin, meaning the purpose of the law was not so that I could start to do these commandments and somehow become righteous because there's no way I could become righteous on my own. The purpose of the law was to show me that I could never meet the law, was to show me that I am a sinner and I am enslaved and I need salvation, all right? And then let's keep going, (coughs) all right? We are enslaved to it. And then finally, let's read the last one. We are bent to do evil, okay? We are bent to do evil. Now let's read this passage from Galatians chapter 5. Read this with me. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, uh, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I would be the first to say I'm guilty, that I see this played out in my life, and every one of us uh, has this in our life. Well, um, I've got to find this one quote real quick. Um, How many of you remember... This man right here, see if we can get this up, Dick Morris. How many of y'all remember him? He was <coughs> Clinton's uh, chief political advisor, and uh, until he fell into some, uh, he was exposed, actually, uh, for being in an adulterous affair, and also, um, I think he had an affair with a prostitute as well, and so he, it was just a, a horrible deal, but I want you to hear, you know, years later, after he's, he's been, had this tragedy happen in his life, I want you to read this article that was, I believe, in the Washington Post, uh, written about him in an interview with Dick Morris. And listen to what the writer says, okay, um, about Morris. Morris says that my sense of reality was altered, Morris told the press. I started out being excited working for the president, then I became arrogant, then I became grandiose, and then I became self-destructive. <coughs> the writer says his hands shook and his voice quivered as Morris struggled for the words to explain what led him to a year of tryst with a call girl and a lengthy relationship with another woman and a child that was born out of that relationship, all the while married to his wife, Eileen. Both relationships were revealed 
in the tabloids during the presidential campaign, and then Moore said these words, it's too simple to say it was a sexual addiction. Listen to this. Saying I was sick like I had pneumonia or the mumps, that's, it's not that at all. I, I had no, I have a fundamental flaw in my character, a fundamental weakness in my personality, a fundamental sin, if you will. I'm prone to believing that the rules don't apply to me. Now, every one of us, we might look at that and say, man, poor guy, right? But this, I believe, is something that is really for every man to look at, that we all have this fundamental flaw, and we, we're calling it in this deal a, um, a heart wound. So let's keep going. <coughs> I want to talk now about communities, that this heart wound doesn't just show itself in our individual lives, but it also shows itself in our communities, that when communities all right, are given over to this sinful, uh, fallen nature, and, and as they give themselves over to that, what happens is they start uh, getting into a place where they can't even see clearly the truth even anymore. And they've masked, masked the truth, this heart wound, and it's led to some devastating uh, deals. Let's read what happened here in the Old Testament. L- listen to what it said about the Jews from the prophet Hosea here, okay? Listen. Hear the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there's no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. You see it? There's no knowledge of God. It's as if they've pushed God aside. Does that sound familiar? Now let's keep going. They're swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. That's what takes its place. They believe violence, so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Now look what happens here. Therefore... The land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. Yet let no one find fault, and let none uh, offer reproof. They have gone deep in depravity. They've gone deep into depravity. Now, again, does that sound like a country you may have heard of, that, that, that they almost make excuses even for, for their own sinful lifestyles? Now look what is written about the Romans here in um, the New Testament. Look at this. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. You see that? Again, it's God gets pushed out. Look at this. He gave them over to a depraved mind, okay, a fallen nature, if you will, to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Okay? Now look what flows out of this depraved mind. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree, see it? They have the law. They know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. Look at this. They only continue to do these things very things, not only continue to do them, but also approve of those who practice them. Again, we see this in our culture today, that we've kind of brushed things under the carpet and let things come out, and we're almost given over to this godless uh, culture. And not only that, sometimes if you look in our culture, it's, it's approved of. And so we see it, this play out even into communities. All right, so now let's look at the implications. Now we're running through this because there's a lot. Now here's where we're going to really kind of dig through. There's seven implications that flow out, all right, of this heart wound, okay? Uh, Seven of of them. The first one I want to look at 
<coughs> is this. Depravity means we are all dysfunctional by nature. Okay, dysfunctional literally means to not function properly. Okay, so we, we always like to think that dysfunction is something that's out there. Well, that's a dysfunctional family. He's dysfunctional. But again, we need to see that all of us in this room are dysfunctional at some level. Okay, we all are not functioning as as we, God would intend us to because of something within us, this nature. And as I said last week, uh, this, you never have to, if you ever work with little kids, you never have to teach kids uh, selfishness, right? You never have to teach kids greediness. I mean, I, I was at my friend Clay's house yesterday. He has two little ones. I mean, you just sit there and watch it, and, and we're like, I mean, is, it, is there any doubt that we were born, born with a sin nature? One of them took the toy from the other one. The other one freaked out, went over, hit the other one, grabbed it back. I mean, it's all mine. It's all me. It's, it's all self-centered. Again, we don't have to teach that. So every one of us is, has this dysfunction. Let's keep going. <coughs> um, where am I here? Okay, I'm trying to learn this thing. Okay, let's go to number two. Here it is. All right, depravity, okay, means most of my real problems, okay, here, we, here we are, are in me and not out there. We said this again uh, last week, that it's not an out there thing. It's not uh, one of the things that flows out of our fallen nature is that blame game. We talked about it last, last week. The blame game is basically the first thing that happened in Genesis. In fact, we're going to read it this week. Let's read this. And they heard, this is Adam and Eve, look at this. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. By the way, real quick, let me just jump in and say this. That's what sin does to us. When, we, when we're fallen, we want to hide from the presence of God, which again, if you remember what, we, what I said about Abraham, is the true reward, is his presence, is the relationship with him. And see how, how wicked it is that sin causes me to not want to run after God, but I'll almost, as I follow in that path, it wants, I want to hide away from God. But the Lord God called to the man, look at this, and said to him, where are you? Uh, is this says eaten of the tree next? Okay. <laughs> Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat is what it should say. All right. <clears throat> and he said, do we have that? Let me go forward. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? That's where it is. Of which I commanded you not to eat. The man said, The woman, there it is, there's the blame game, who you gave me, who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. So again, he shifts blame to the woman, and I think in a little way he shifts blame to God, doesn't he? He's like the woman who you gave me, by the way. So it's not me, it, it's you, all right? He didn't come out and say, and say, I did it. He starts playing the blame game. Then look what happens after that. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, look at this, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the scripture actually says the serpent which you left here, all right, deceived me. And so again, she almost does the same thing. She points it back to God too. It's interesting. Adam does not take the leadership role and the woman follows suit, right? And so we see the blame game coming out. And every one of us, um, we have to, again, take the onus of looking in our heart and not putting this out on anyone else or making excuses for our sin, but looking within us. Okay? Let's look at the third one. Depravity, we talked about this a little bit last week too, cannot be eradicated by education, 
a better environment, (coughs) self-understanding, or willpower. We must be saved from our depravity, okay? Education doesn't make us better inside. Education can make us better on the outside, okay? It can make us look smart on the outside, but on the inside we're still depraved creatures, okay? We've gotten all that down. I'm going to go on to the next slide, unless you're still writing. Look, Look at what John 3 says, all right? Very simply, it says, Jesus comes and says, you must be born again. Now, we're going to look at the solution. This is the solution. We're going to look at it more the week that I'm back with you in John, uh, January 10, all right? But um, this is the only way the wound can be eradicated. If there's a spiritual birth, a spiritual, uh, if you will, surgery has to happen. A new heart, a new creation must happen. And let me just quickly say this before I move on. Uh, those of you who do know Christ, who are Christ followers and have been born again, I believe this is a great lesson for us, again, to know that, um, I'm going to try to say this really quickly, the way that we battle sin in our life as followers of Christ is, again, not by my own willpower. You know, you will never fight sin on your own. You'll never be able to. And a lot of people think, don't miss this, a lot of people think Christianity is just not sinning, okay? And that's what they make Christianity, just becomes sin management to try to stay far away from sin. Let me tell you, you can try on your own willpower to not sin, and you're going you're gonna to still fall into it. I believe Ephesians 5, it's not in the notes, but this just popped in my head, I want to tell you this. Ephesians 5 uh, is the answer where Paul says this in verse 17, I believe. He says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? And here's, here's what the teaching is there. That we think the idea is, if you think being drunk, put that as the sin, do not be drunk with wine. We think that he's going to say, stay as far away from a drop of alcohol. So it's all about not doing something. But listen to what he says. Don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Meaning the way you defeat sin in your life is not to just not do something, but not just to fast from something, but then to feast on something else. To feast on God and His Word. And so Jesus himself said, uh, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and thirst. Your hunger and thirst for that junk will go away. And why? Because earlier he says, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. So you'll be filled with Christ, and your longing for the junk food will go away. That's the way you fight sin, the same way. Let's go on. Number four, are we? Yeah, depravity can wear all kinds of sophisticated masks to hide itself, all right? Um, I don't know if I have these. Oh, yeah, I do. Here we go. The education mask. Let's just write them all down. The personality mask, the rule keeper mask, and the religious mask, all right? So we can (coughs) have all kinds of masks to try to hide this uh, depravity, if you will, uh, try to be more religious, uh, try to be more educated, try to be uh, with our personality. Again, on the outside, show uh, a clean side, if you will, but still on the inside, uh, we're, we're, we're fallen. And I, I've seen this in so many uh, places. Um, the older son in the prodigal son story, I always love this. The older son, we're going to watch a clip here in a second, but let me say this. The older son is always seen as the one who kind of had it together. The prodigal son went and wasted all of his father's uh, uh, inheritance and 
finally comes to the end of his rope and decides he's going to come back to his father. His father runs out to his son who's, who's repented and turned back to him and throws his arms around him, kisses him, makes a big feast. But the older son is pretty much ticked off and pretty much says, why would uh, my father do that? When the father comes and confronts him, he's like, man, I've been uh, here with you. Why did, you never made this kind of a feast for me? And you can see this. Uh, what, I'm, what I want to get is this, that he may have looked more socially acceptable. He didn't go waste his life away. But really, on the inside, he still had that selfishness, right? So on the outside, he looked socially acceptable. But on the inside, he also was in error, was in, was in error. So I want you to see this clip. This comes from um, the Emperor's Club. And you may have seen this movie, but it's a teacher who is... Um, Years earlier, taught a student who he, he found out was cheating on, on some tests, and he pretty much covered for him. Now this student, years later, is running for Senate, and there's this big gathering where all these former students are, and he's giving them this kind of quiz, this teacher, and again this guy cheats, and he knows he's cheated again, and the teacher is kind of struggling with this student teach, uh, cheating again, and he's in the bathroom, and I want you to see what happens here. There's about uh, 30 balding middle-aged men out there looking for you, Professor. Well, some things can't wait. <sighs> God, you were great this evening. You're like fine wine. You improve with age. <laughs> Everything all right? Yes, I'm fine. Yeah, you don't, you don't look so fine. And hurry up and come join the celebration. How long have you been hard of hearing, Sedgwick? Uh, very good, Mr. Honor. Very, very good, yeah. Well, I thought you might have known. Who is the poor mercenary who is feeding you the answers? Oh, just some graduate student gave him a couple hundred bucks and a warm meal. Trust to keep this between us. As always, I trust you will. Do you mean am I going to go out there and expose you for a liar and a cheat? Teacher Cedric, I failed you as a teacher. But I will give you one last lecture, if I may. All of us, at some point, are forced to look at ourselves in the mirror and see who we really are. And when that day comes for you, Cedric, you will be confronted with the life lived without virtue, without principle. And for that, I pity you. End of lesson. What can I say, Mr. Honored? 
Who gives a shit? Honestly, who out there gives a shit about your principles and your virtues? I mean, look at you. What do you have to show for yourself? I live in the real world where people do what they need to do to get what they want. And if it's lying and it's cheating, then so be it. So I am going to go out there and I am going to win that election, Mr. Hundred. And you will see me everywhere. And I'll worry about my contribution later. Robert. And that's the son. Robert. clip there. I mean, it just um, drives home the point. You know, you could hide your sin. You can be slick on the outside, uh, but your sin is still on the inside and it affects people. And we see uh, how it's affected uh, his son here. Read the words here of Jesus, what he says to the Pharisees. It's not, not very pleasant to read. Look at this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombstones, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So, <clears throat> again, uh, you know, we see these men, for instance, uh, a Ted Haggard, if you will, or other ministers even, who have fallen, and on the outside they looked like everything was clean and perfect, right? And usually when that happens, our reaction is, I can't believe that. Right? Well, I'm saying I believe our reaction should be, man, I can believe that. Because left to my own devices, I'm capable of doing just the same thing. Every one of us has to get to that point of understanding that inside we have this depravity. I know for me it's hit me. uh, last. I usually don't preach on Easter because pastors fill their pulpit on Easter. So usually they don't bring in guest speakers. But last Easter I got a call uh, on Saturday, the day before, I got a call. Hey, our pastor fell into sin. Uh, will you drive down? And I had to drive down on the uh, most important Sunday of a church's life and fill in for the pastor. And um, this past summer, a youth camp, entire week youth camp. I got a call, and my youth, my, my, my summer is filled with like nine weeks. For some reason, I had one week open. And I got a call, man, our youth speaker um, fell into some sin. Would you fly down here to Florida and, and fill in? And normally I'd say no, but I just felt like I needed a, I knew this guy who fell. And if I told you, like, not just like once in a while, I mean once a month, if not more frequently, I hear about another minister who's fallen. So no one is above this. No one looks good on the outside too good to, to struggle with anything uh, that, that's kind of sin, all right? So let's, I want to go to the next one because this, goes right into it, what I just said. Depravity means we must not trust ourselves alone, okay? We talked about, or you talked about before I got here, having friends and mentors in your life, accountability partners, I would say. <coughs> uh, I can't leave myself 
I, like I said earlier, I can't do it on my own. I need the Spirit of God. Look at me here, gang. Uh, men, look at me. I can't stop sinning on my own. I, I need the Spirit of God to help me have victory. And I can't have victory over sin, not just uh, do I need God, but I also need others. Uh, for me in my ministry, I have a board. I have to have a board. I'll just be honest with you. If, if it was just me, I, I would probably struggle with selfish desires and wreck my ministry. I have to have a board. I have accountability partners that when I go travel, they call me and they ask me, Afshin, what did you watch in the hotel room last night? I know that that question's coming. Afshin, uh, what did you think about? Did you spend time in God's Word? I have to have that. I have to have it. All right, David, story of David when he fell into sin with Bathsheba. It says about David and 2 Samuel that it was the time when kings go out to war. So he should have been out at war. Instead, he was walking on the rooftop, and he had gotten, don't miss this, he had gotten to a place, guys, where he was above any kind of authority in his life. And that's what accountability is. You hand to another man authority over your life to ask you those questions. So what happens is he's walking, he sees a woman bathing, he asks who the woman is, and his counselors even try to drop hints for him. They're like, <coughs> um, isn't that Bathsheba, the wife, hello, hint, hint, of Uriah the Hittite? And he says, he asks for her to come on up, and he sleeps with her, commits adultery, later commits murder to try to cover up that sin. And so the whole point is this. He got to a place where those people couldn't even look him in the face and say, you can't do this. It's not your wife. And beware any of us getting to a place where we're alone. Okay? You've got to have others around you. Okay, let's keep going. The next one, <coughs> Proverbs 14, let me read this. There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The next one, admitting my depravity is the first step to finding a real relationship with God. To finding a real relationship with God. And we read this scripture last week, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs <coughs> is the kingdom of heaven. So the person who comes to the end of himself, all right, and understands his depravity and admits it. You know, some of the greatest saints in the world have been the greatest sinners before. Have you, have you seen that? Some of the people who are most devoted and committed to Christ are the ones that come out of a lifestyle of gross sin. Why? Because those people truly understand the depth of their depravity. And I believe that is the start the doorway to the solution. And the solution starts here. When I understand how depraved I am and I simply confess it. Again, I think I said this last week, but we've got to compare David with Saul. Saul committed a sin, was confronted with it, and he said the people made me do it. David, when he was confronted with the sin that I just told you about, by his friend Nathan, by the way, a good friend, as someone who will confront you with your sin and not try to help you hide it, he confronts him. And David says, I have sinned against the Lord. He doesn't hide his sin. He confesses it openly and he confesses it to God. Again, the solution starts, guys, with these words. I can't do it, God. I can't do it. I need you. All right, the last one. <coughs> Progress in authentic manhood will parallel my growing understanding of the depth and extent of my depravity. Again, we've said this. The ones who grow the strongest, okay? 
I believe, are the ones who understand their depraved nature and deal with it the right way. Turn to God with it. I want you to see what Paul, who think of Paul, who's a missionary, a writer, a teacher, an evangelist, a church planner. I mean, he is, if you look at anyone as being uh, very a catalyst in spreading the Christian church, it's Paul. Look what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. You see it? See, he's able to overcome his depraved nature because I believe he understands the depth of his depravity. All right, let's close. We've got about five minutes, so stay with me. Let's close now with um, some stuff that are specifically for, for men. Three things really quickly. We're going to fill these in <coughs> that specifically speak uh, to men. All right? And these aren't three uh, alone ones, all right? These are just three of them that we're going to look at today, okay? Um, the first one, <coughs> depravity means men have, number one, a natural tendency to avoid domestic responsibility. A natural tendency to avoid domestic responsibility. That's why we find in Scripture over and over again this command is, is given to us that, that we are to love and protect and provide for our wives. A lot of times when we find in Scripture stuff that is repeated over and over and over again are things that I believe we have a bent to turn away from. And that's why it's so many times it's, rep it's repeated, okay? Uh, it, we're, we're called to love our, our wives uh, and treat them as equals, co-heirs of grace in Scripture, uh, to give our hearts to kids. John the Baptist, when he first comes on the scene, he says, one of the things he says about his mission is he's come to turn the hearts of fathers to their kids. But our depraved nature, which, remember, is self-centered, wants to avoid that responsibility of, of being a spiritual leader and, and a giver of myself. Remember, the Scripture says a man is supposed to lay his life down for his wife as Christ did the church. Self-centeredness goes against that, and we want to avoid that. Okay? This, again, show, shows our depravity. <clears throat> Let's, um, uh, we're we're going we're gonna to talk more about this. I'm going to say one quick thing. My, one of my heroes is a man named Neil Jeffrey. Has anyone heard of Neil Jeffrey? Okay, some of you have. Neil Jeffrey was a quarterback for Baylor, quarterback for the Chargers, but was one of my first mentors in ministry. And he's over at Prestonwood Baptist in Dallas. Neil uh, tells me, uh, this guy again, godly guy, preacher, everyone loves to hear him speak. He tells me, Afshin, every time that I pull in to my garage, the first thing I do is I stop and I pray and I say, God, give me strength now to do the greatest ministry that, I'm, that you've given me and to love my wife and my kids the way you've called me to. And let me tell you something. He, he, he says, I know that I'm very capable of neglecting that, of going and serving the church with all my heart and neglecting that. And I said to myself, man, I'm not married yet, but if Neil Jeffrey uh, can do that and needs to do that, I do. And let me say this also, even as a single person, if you're single, uh, I tell my college students and singles I speak to, <clears throat> you don't decide to be a godly husband at the altar, right? You don't decide at the altar, now I'm going to flip a switch and from this day forward I'm going to be godly to my wife. You become a godly husband, I believe, today. You know, I tell my college students today, the way you treat girls, the way you treat your parents, the way you treat people, what you look at, you're becoming a godly husband today or you're not becoming one today, okay? And so it's something that we all must look at. We want to avoid that. The th second one, we have a tendency <coughs> to rule 
harshly over women and children. I want you to see the scripture in Genesis. This is part of the curse that's given in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Your desire, this is, this is what's said to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And that word, rule over, is mashal, which means to dominate you. So part of the curse is that our sin nature, our fallen nature, does not want to give ourselves for our wives again, but to dominate and be self-centered. Okay? Um, look at Ephesians 6.4. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And men, uh, I, I'm not there yet, but some of you are fathers, and I believe we've got to pray, God, empower me to see my kids the way that you've, you're calling me to see them and to empower them, to lift them up and discipline them in the instruction of the Lord. I remember one time, and we see this all over, and I know we're not perfect, right? But one time, me and my uh, <coughs> friends, both of us single, walking in, we're both sports fanatics, walking into a, to a batting cage, and I mean, I saw this father with his son just absolutely berating him, just berating him. I mean, every pitch, you know, Keep your elbow up, you know, keep your head up, you know, uh, keep your eye on the ball, just yelling at him. He, every time he got a hit, he wouldn't say anything. Every time he missed or fouled off, he'd yell at him and stuff. I mean, it was like brutal. It was like, you know, drill, uh, drill sergeant, right? And I remember walking away, and, and me and Josh both looked at each other, and we both had the same thought. We both said, if I ever do that with my son, you better come slap me in the face. And we both said it to each other. And listen, I, I'm, I'm not there, but I think I'm a little smart enough to know that I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall into that. I will fall into that. Left to my own devices, I, I, I will fall into that. And I need someone. I need someone to, to be there to watch me. Let's do the last one. Look at this. Depravity means men tend, and this is for every one of us, <coughs> to get lost in their careers and personal pursuits and ignore God's greater purpose for their lives, to get lost in our careers and pursuits. One of the um, curse is that we're to work the land, right? And so what we do is we run after that, and we get lost in our careers, and we neglect our families. Uh, let me just leave you with this. We're going to read one more scripture, too, though. Uh, we, uh, as many times as men, I know what it's happened for me. See if this makes sense to you. That my gifted purpose supersedes my created purpose. Let me explain what that means. My created purpose, I am created first for God, for Him. To have a relationship with Him. The Bible says in Colossians 1.16, all things were created through Him, that's Jesus, by Him and for Him. So I'm created for Him, to worship Him, to bring glory to His name. And among my family, I do that best, right? To worship Him. Now here's the deal. A lot of times what happens is my gifted purpose, you know, I may be gifted to preach or write or you may be gifted to, to sing or whatever, but we get so wrapped up in that and that supersedes our creative purpose and that's where we get off a little bit. I want you to read what Ecclesiastes says here. Ecclesiastes 2, this will be the last scripture. I enlarged my works, I increased houses, pools, gardens. This is against Solomon. I collected for myself silver and gold <clears throat> the pleasures of men, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. Then I considered all my activities, and behold, all was vanity 
and empty. All right. So now we're coming to the close of this kind of section. So we've looked at this heart wound and this depravity. We're going to go into a time of discussion. I've got to tell you, I've got to be really honest with you. I've been totally out of my element these last two weeks. First of all, uh, I'm kind of a preacher. If you come December 30th, you'll see. I'm not very good at the slide thing, as you can tell, but that's been fun. But the second thing is, as an evangelist, I talked about this with Eric, I love to talk about the solution. You know, I love to proclaim the solution. And I've been uh, held back (laughs) to just talk about the wound for two weeks. And this is on purpose. I want us to look at this. Again, I believe we have to come to the end of ourselves and understand how depraved we really are before we cry out for the solution. Okay? There is a solution. It's a spiritual one, and it's one that God created. It's not one that we try on our own. It's the one way that God provided for us. And we're going to pick that up in January. All right? So let's pray. I want you to bow with me. And before we go into discussion groups, I want to pray for you. Father, we just love you. We thank you, God, for... This time we've had to discuss this truth. And God, I pray that we no longer sweep it under the rug and try to turn our back from it, but we become honest. And I pray that you would just give incredible grace and honesty and openness in these small groups that we can discuss and talk about how this wound has played itself out in our families and in our marriages. God, I pray that you would speak through each other, God, and sharpen each other, Lord. Uh, as we speak to one another now. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, thanks for having me. Y'all discuss. I'll see y'all in January.